0: Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please, join your host, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, or KP, and Lauren Kizich, the Abbey Roadie, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to support by giving a like, a follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible A Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word, and keep being a part of a great community. This episode contains some mild adult language.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Animation Communication with me, KP. Uh, Lauren's not here right now, she had to deal with some personal fun BS stuff um, that she had to deal with this weekend, so I'm just doing it by myself because I couldn't find a co-host last minute, so it's fine, whatever. So um, joining me, I have convention heads from all different points of conventionness. Uh mostly some pony convention people, some non-pony convention people. So if you've never heard about a convention, you don't know what they are, to all the way to I want to run a convention, I don't know how, to basically providing a good experience to people that maybe want to go to them or making sure that you have a good t- if you have a good time, like if you want to go, making sure you're having a good time and all that fun mumbo jumbo. So, you know, um words are hard. So anyway, I'm just going to let everyone introduce themselves, and then we'll kind of jump into some questions and discussion. Wee fun. So I guess, Scott, why don't we start with you? Scott, who are you, and what do you do?
2: Well, I am Scott Kinnersley. I go by Thornwing Online, and I help run Everfree Northwest and volunteer at a whole bunch of other conventions.
3: Okay, that that's a good start. Go ahead, Casey. I am Casey Yunt, Um And I used to run Equestria L.A., which was a My Little Pony convention in Anaheim, even though it said L.A. Whatever. Um, And it's now defunct. We we shut it down. But I also used to volunteer for a lot of other My Little Pony conventions. And I used to do the San Diego Comic-Con thing. So, yeah, I've been around the scene for a while.
4: Okay. What about you, Lauren? What's your deal? Well, my name is Lauren Stone. I am the owner and promoter of a few shows in the LA area. ToonCon, Simi Valley Toy and Comic Fest, uh, Ventura Toy and Comic Expo, Megabit Game Expo, and I work on some other shows freelance, a few Long Beach shows, and I am the media director of Power Morphicon.
1: Okay, um, thanks Everyone for being here and um, volunteering your time to help educate the youth, essentially. And um, this is a curse. This is an, a, a curse um, episode. So if you want to curse, you're welcome to curse. Um, so Ooh, you know, just yay. <laughs> so you have some flexibility with that. I don't think little little kids are gonna be like, I want to learn how to run a convention. So I was like, whatever. Um, so, um, I guess we'll go from Scott, and we'll go down the line for each question, and um, I guess. Out. That's fine. Um, so in your own base, this is the this, this stupid bullshit like starter question. So in your own basic words, what is a convention for pe- for someone who has not ever heard of one and what is like a fan convention in general?
2: Oh, okay. Fan <laughs> convention. So first of all, uh, the big distinction here here is um, conventions are run by different kinds of people or organizations. Fan conventions are usually put on by fans of a certain property or a certain Um, idea, Uh, not to be confused with conventions that are run by the actual people that own that brand or that idea. Um, It's also, could be a for-profit event, it could be a non-profit event, uh, it could be something that, you know, just people get together and hold a big festival. Um, So all different kinds of conventions, uh, and we just represent a small part of that in the Pony fandom for myself. So fans of My Little Pony would come together at Everfree Northwest, and and we take in all aspects of of that genre. um, And also spread it out a little bit into other related uh, interest groups, such as animation in general, or um, art, uh, music, um, other things that aren't necessarily part of the show itself, but have something to do with uh, people that enjoy the same kind of things.
1: Um, okay, and then I know the pony questions will repeat to Casey, so Casey, if you have anything to add when, Scott, when we have those kind of things, if not, we'll just go straight to Warren. Okay, well, um, so he, yeah, I just want to, I
3: add? can point out that a fan convention is different than, say, a trade show type convention, where, like, working professionals are getting together because they're all eye doctors, or they're into tech, so, like, there's tech conventions like E3 and things like that, so it's similar um, but at some fan conventions, it may be less about what's on the exhibit floor, seeing new things that are out, and more about going to panels and getting autographs with, um, well, famous people. So that, that'll that happen more to fan convention that add more of a professional-type convention. And it does make a difference.
1: That's, that's a good distinction, too, because, you know, um... I think like when we're when I'm going to a fan convention or I'm used to that market and then I go to like a more professional trade show kind of thing. I'm just like, this is different, you know. So I think expectations are definitely important and distinction is important and all that stuff. But they all um,
3: Lawrence, Just it's all similar in that it's people who um, care about a given thing want to come together in person and hang out and learn about and fellowship about that thing they all like.
1: That's a good way to put it. Uh, Lauren, anything to add, especially from your non-pony background?
4: Well, I mean, just
3: adding to that
4: in general, kind of piggybacking off what we're talking about right now, um, If in in any strong fan event, you're hopeful that anybody involved in the creation of the franchise, pony cartoons in general, or um, whatever your niche... Convention or expo is targeting, or the fans is targeting, you're hoping that people who work on that property will embrace the idea of being there and it doesn't necessarily have to be like the voice talent if it's a show or cartoon or the you know the screen actors if it's some of the writers if it's some of the art talent if it's you know if you're lucky if it's an executive just somebody who wants to come and represent and teach some you know fans something that they may not have known that's uh, for me a really strong angle of a fan expo as well um, because I'm also a toy collector for me the some of the uh, events that I throw are aimed toward toy properties so people bring me things for my money to disappear Woo-hoo. into.
1: Casey's like a huge, like, she's a huge pony collector. I don't know if you knew that.
4: Yeah. Oh, well, I know. I figure. I know. <laughs> now.
1: Um, and then Lauren specifically. So is there a, a general distinction? Because a lot of fan um, conventions go under the, the title of comic conventions. I feel like that might be an, like an old, like an architect that's not the right word, but um, that might be an old way of describing things. Do you feel like a comic convention would describe just general conventions nowadays? Do you feel like it just expanded and people are just waiting to you know update the, the brand of their show? Ha- like any, any feedback slash like insight on that?
4: I do have some thoughts on that. I feel like calling something, especially when it's a brand new show, going in the direction of toys and comics is safe. So if you are throwing a new pop culture event... I feel like just by calling it a comic con or a comic expo or a comic fest, um, some of them literally are comic book shows and they are aimed for comic book fans. And that is completely what they are. But I feel it's become also a buzzword just to mean pop culture event. And again, it's safe branding so that nobody is confused about what you're trying to accomplish. So there is a business sense to it. It's like saying Kleenex or Band-Aid. Everybody kind of knows what it is and it makes the branding safe.
1: Right. So for those who've never heard of any of this before, just because something is labeled a Comic-Con doesn't necessarily mean it's only for comics. Um, So I'm hoping in the next maybe like five to ten years we kind of start um the the industry in general starts expanding to just like fan stuff just to make it more like because i feel like it's that term is still dated but as is you're right it is kind of something people recognize and people just know immediately what that means so <clears throat> um, i guess the future will see uh,
3: correct me if i'm um, wrong but i thought the term comic-con got trademarked by the san diego folks so it okay. is
4: it is and it has been there are a few shows that are legally allowed to use it such as one of the shows that i freelance for which is the long beach mm-hmm. comic con it's sort of been grandfathered in under that and then there's other shows that just use it as an umbrella term and they are subjecting themselves to being sued by san diego should that group so choose but that's a whole messy situation but yes you you are right the
2: Salt Lake event
3: actually so yeah it would be a good idea to su- move away like from that. the term for a lot of reasons
4: expo is becoming more popular um festival fest is becoming more popular i got some negative feedback one of again one of the shows that i have is simi valley toy and comic fest a single day celebration of pop culture in the small town of simi valley california it was really well embraced the, we did our show on february 9th 2020 Great turnout. Everybody had a lot of fun. They were grateful that the show was there. But one piece of feedback I got was that you should not have called it Fest because because Fest indicates a large, sprawling festival, and this was a hotel show. We had several rooms, gaming room, panel room. Artist Alley Room, and and Vendor Hall. So there was different areas to go into, but they were upset that, in their mind, Fest Festival was one thing, and then what they saw didn't match what was in their head, so you can't please everybody. Like
3: they thought it would be like a, an EDM or a music festival as opposed to a convention?
2: Like a Renaissance okay. Fair.
3: That may...
4: like a renaissance fair something sprawling and outside and then that actually you know if we want to talk about venues and stuff like that some people get really unhappy about shows at the fairgrounds there was a show in ventura at the fairgrounds um that tanked it they're gone and my group and i are putting a show in ventura in a hotel at the crown plaza hotel may 3rd 2020 (laughs) and (laughs) i know shameless plug but um that was you know again a piece of feedback that that a convention, an expo, a fan event has no business at fairgrounds, whereas something like a Renaissance fair, again, is a large, sprawling outdoor event, but uh, conducive to what the show is trying to achieve. It's a fair. It's a festival. You know, again, we're getting into these words, but they all kind of they all kind of qualify and categorize into the same thing.
3: Well, being outside brings different challenges, really. I I kind of get it.
4: I don't want to be outside. I mean, again, run run fair. You know, I don't personally go to county fairs. Um, there's no pleasure in them for me, and what I like to do. But the run fair is fun. I like that one very much. But otherwise, I don't. If I'm going to a, to a pop culture event, I want to be either in a convention center or I want to be in a hotel. That's just where, you know, I like to collect toys. I don't need to collect toys in the sun.
3: Same.
4: I like air conditioning. <laughs> I like yeah. I mm-hmm. like air conditioning too. Exactly. Well said. Amen.
3: Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, moving on. This is a more personal question. Uh, well, not really, but you know, how did you all get started in doing, being involved in these um, fan uh, conventions in general? And I guess, again, we'll go in the order of Scott and Down. So, Scott, how did you get started?
2: Oh, boy. Um, I got roped in um, by my own stupidity, I guess. <laughs> I basically really latched onto the show itself, I really enjoyed it. Um, was seeking out more content for what was out there and what people were talking about what people were adding to it as far as uh, fan fiction writing or artistry or music that went along with what the show was portraying and that kind of led me onto youtube and a lot of creator content that was there um, that led to me watching a lot of convention videos that had been posted on youtube panels and interviews with the VIP guests that would voice the characters on the show. Um, and just as a way to kind of give back to that community for you know the product and the, and the entertainment value that I found in watching and enjoying the show itself and all the related media, I decided to volunteer at a convention to help out running one of these actual fan shows. And then the rest is history, you know, 40 cons later, I'm, I'm running the show. Yeah,
1: you slowly moved up, you
2: slowly of, moved up of you know.
1: More I, I wouldn't more call more it slowly.
2: I, I think I launched myself into it with both feet off the deep end and into the fray. Um, three shows in, I was basically tapped to to be a con chair.
1: You know, I, I guess guess you were you were tempted, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a slippery slope, I guess.
1: Okay, Casey, how did you get started running cons in general?
3: Um, well, I'm a software engineer by trade, and for the 2012 Equestria LA, I thought that their registration and their website had sucked. Like these people need help. So I. Admit- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I met some folks at the con and I, I reached out after the 2012 event and I said, you know, hey, I'd like to you know, help you guys out. And I'm looking for a, you know, a volunteer thing in my free time. And so I joined the staff for then the 2013 event. And then the con chair at the time, her name was Karen. She figured out that I was a responsible adult. And I kind of became the interchangeable part. I did Reg, I did Viper, I was on like the web team, I did all kinds of stuff. Um, And then it, other people then saw that and they're like, hey, you can come help at my event. So I volunteered at a whole bunch of other My Little Pony conventions. And then when Karen brought... The event back for 2015 she had to step down for some personal reasons and a convention fell in my lap um i was i was vice chair at the time and doing just business paperwork on the side so i mean i guess it all worked out in the end i actually knew the the innards of the thing Um, And then I chose to bring it back for 2017 because I wanted to see what happened if I actually did it all myself from the beginning the way I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I did it once (laughs) from from start to finish. It was my baby and now I'm good.
2: (laughs) I think, Casey, you hit there on on a very important note of responsible adults. Amen. That is something that conventions all over the place are in grave need of. And when you find someone that can act responsibly and act like an adult, it's it's just an instant pass to how much work can you accomplish.
3: That is true. That is very true. I'd say that for like a small con, like a, a pony convention, it's one property, one IP, one fandom. You need at least 10. 10 re- responsible adults willing to put in free labor to get the thing done
4: 10 let me tell you how few people work on my shows (laughs) (laughs) are you are you fucking serious no like really my the shows i work on are done by me and my business partner um power power morphicon I don't even know if it's all smoke and mirrors. Like, I don't want to reveal anything like how. But honestly, like, oh, my God, if we had 10 people on staff, you have no idea. Like even (laughs) even on site. No, on site. Well, you know, on site, we have volunteers and we have um, a small crew of people that we uh, delegate to tasks. But the planning staff,
2: very small. Yeah, I mean, uh, from our background, I guess, speaking for me and maybe Casey as well. The, the pony conventions that I've been a part of are all volunteers. It's it's 100% volunteer. There is mm-hmm. no actual staffing. There's no paid person on staff. There's no one running the convention itself that's a paid owner of it. Um, they're all, at least the ones that I'm running are, are nonprofits. So it, yeah, it's hard to we find were people too. that are, are willing to work that many hours and put in that much effort for zero pay. For free, for the
3: love of it. Well, that's why.
4: Yeah, no, that's why I'm with my shows. It's just, it's the small courts, the owners. Uh, it's just me and my business partner because we're accountable for our own time. Every, hey, every layout's different. There's no right or wrong. If if people are happy to volunteer to build the thing, all good. But that's why my partner and I just leave it. leave it in our, with our, in our you know in our own laps and make so we make sure that nothing gets lost or there's no
3: problems. Do you do that full time?
4: My uh, secondary gig, basically, between the convention management and show planning, and we put we put on about a dozen shows a year, um, and then I think it we. Gets also, I'm also easier a toy the journalist. The more
2: you do it, and the more common it is, and constant it is, to be working on shows like that. I mean, my shows. Oh, like it's all
4: it's all moving parts. It's moving parts. Um, I could list all the shows that my group and I do, but. Um, yeah, it, it's just we just na- we just hit it every time. Um, but I'm a toy journalist. I'm also a toy journalist. My business partner uh, Scott Zilner and I have a, a website called Toy Wizards, and I'm also Sci-Fi Wire's current toy journalist. So you know my background. I don't think we even got to me with the convention thing yet. Yeah, I was about but, to get to um, that once the oh. conversation kind of.
3: <laughs> Sorry, we divulged. Yeah, but I was gonna say
4: no it's all good it's all good it's organic but um yeah with that I have a you know my background is also in um pop culture writing and party planning which actually ties into getting me kind of my my personal rocket in the convention industry so whenever whenever we get you know segue to mean I don't it's fine but I'm just saying like how did you get started in that
1: then how did you get started doing the conventions um starting from the the writer background
4: Well, let's see. Yeah. So I'll just briefly touch. My very first convention as a fan was Anime Expo 1999. I was 14 years old, huge into anime, and I just loved it. It was just so much fun. Um, I went to a few more conventions between 99 and like 2006. And then I sort of just kind of put it on pause. Um, Other things in life were happening, college, etc. So I started my journey as a pop culture writer in like 2016. Um, I had been published on like crack.com and a few other sites and done some volunteer blog posts and websites, website stuff. And then I um, then I finally launched my own brand. For, I turn, it was a blog. I turned it into a, um, a website. It was hitting really, really well. Um, because of the platform that I was building as a pop culture writer, which I'm very lucky for. And then finally, I was like, I'm going to start going doing convention reviews because ha ha, I'm going to get into conventions for free. Right. So you get press passes, you take some pictures, do a write up and you get into conventions for free. So my intentions were like a little bit like just being cheap, but I produced actual nice convention reviews. Like I really did the thing I was there to do. So I didn't trick anyone. Um, and so then I'm walking around, I'm doing my convention thing, I'm collecting business cards, and then I met my business partner, like, just crashed right into him, and he's the owner of Power Morphicon, and we started talking, and he hired me to do a little bit of writing for the event, and then he and I built a friendship, and then I was, then just eventually built a partnership, and then meanwhile, I was asked to do press, um, press processing for a different group um, the Nerdbot group they have their shows and I did some press processing for them for like one of their events Um, and then it just kind of that experience just came so quickly and for me I've always been really into doing like I always tell people it sounds like a joke but dinner parties were actually like my background like I love throwing dinner parties since I was 17 years old and I I did some like Sailor Moon uh, meetups in the park and just having that like all those, like, we have to do all these activities to keep people busy, or I need to have all these different courses of a meal to keep people occupied, and then this comes out, and then that comes out. Like, I had no idea that this was all the building blocks of a pop culture event, so when I did eventually get kind of pushed into that role very quickly, and I got hired by the Long Beach shows, um, I was set. I was ready to go.
3: Wow, I am so impressed. (laughs) I don't know when you sleep. (laughs)
4: i am caffeine i also have two i also have two young children i have two young children one with special needs but that's not a gimmick like
3: 12 cons two kids several side gigs yeah impressed Mm -hmm.
4: Thank thank you yeah no it's fun i like to keep busy it's exciting i have um I feel, and this, I, I say this with no ego, I feel I have a good head for business. So I'm always doing like outreach for sponsorships, for talent. Um, for me, the shows that I do are very categorized. So, you know, again, we do ToonCon. So it's all about cartoons and animation. It doesn't overlap into like general pop culture or general comic convention stuff. Um, I'm building these great relationships with comic and animation talent, both on the art and writing and voice acting side I I love it Um, it's really it's just a lot of fun and seeing people come and have a really good time and as schmaltzy as it sounds it's fantastic all you do is want to throw a nice party for people and that's where the core of the intention is for me and
3: my group no way Lauren I have a question for you um Yes, For the ToonCon, how did you focus on which guests and cartoons to invite? Because that's just so large. Western that's- animation. There's tons of choices. Yes, yes. It
4: was a combination between the people we immediately thought of and then the people who responded to us. So, what you know, what does that mean? So, when when my business partner and I were like, okay, ToonCon, we have our date. We were, we're ready to go. Like we're going to have two panel rooms. Let's get started. And we started doing our guest outreach. We had a good amount of people that accepted and were excited. And then you have people that don't respond, but then you have people who kind of pop up out of nowhere. And they were like, Oh my God, there's a new show called ToonCon. Well, I'm a writer for these shows and I can hook you guys up with writers and artists from these shows. Um, and so it's sort of it's a combination of people responding to your requests and then you as the promoter just listening and letting people come in and hoping that by letting people through the door that it doesn't blow up in your face and luckily it did not ToonCon went off really really nicely we had a whole bunch of people who like worked for um, various hasbro properties come out of you know nowhere and support us and they did panels for us all led by this amazing guy named doc wyatt who's a writer on a bunch of cartoons and he just really he just really wrangled the troops and we had some really amazing programming because of those introductions so I was grateful for that but yeah you've people who come in and then you've people that you reach out to and it balances in the middle so there's some surprises there's surprises because you know you can have your dream list of people that you would love to come to TuneCon but then you find it's a combination of oh they won't respond to my email or phone call or like oh wow I cannot afford that guarantee <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> you just have to keep on switching to the next plan but it all works out because
3: people are happy. Well, hopefully I'll be able to make it to that one one of these years.
4: I hope so. Last, Like I said, last November was our first show. And we just set our date for um, this year's show, which we're going to announce on social media like this upcoming week. So uh, super excited for that. So we're going to start building ToonCon 2020 very shortly.
1: Okay. Um, so this is my favorite one, especially for you, Casey, because you have like your you're your no bullshit attitude m o so um <laughs> okay what you, um what are your starting steps for starting a con and like what shouldn't you not do as a stupid human being i guess
3: oh okay um you have to know you have to know your market like should you even start a con in that genre i guess i'll call it in that location like do you have competition um was there one that already failed and are you gonna have the same failures um and then well here in california there's like you just no you know what i'm gonna step back and say like everywhere wherever you're gonna be located you need to know the business rules like what are the rules to do business in that state are you doing the paperwork properly just right out of the gate like do you need to incorporate do you like, what are the labor laws and is it beneficial for you to be a nonprofit or is it like you need to know all that right off the, the bat? Like, that's that's my perspective. Um, otherwise, you are a lot of risk running an event without knowing the, the boring business side and, and like taxes and, and then the paperwork that maybe needs to be done. You don't want those surprises later on down the line. Um, it helps if you already know the, the property well, so you know, like, who are the popular characters to bring in, say, voice actors, or do you know some of the content creators, so so you can bring in YouTubers or things like that. Um, so knowing it well and being a fan yourself is gonna help. So... I mean, you have to start off. Those are my two things.
1: More of a baseball question. question. Um, like how, like what are your steps to starting a con? Like booking the venue, like booking the talent, all that stuff.
3: Oh, that comes way after the steps that I gave. <laughs> I mean, you, you want to book your venue once you have all of your ducks in a row from the business side and make sure you're not going to like violate any laws or put anyone at undue risk of filing for bankruptcy. Um, you don't want that. So you want to make sure everyone's protected and that you're following all the proper rules. And then you can go out and get a venue. And then you want to know what dates and stuff, of course.
4: Oh, see, I, That's I, funny that you say that. I completely work inside out. That's, um, for me and my group, first we kind of figure out where we want to house the show and then after that we make sure that there is a venue in the in that town that can kind of do what we need it to do Um, we'll book the you know we'll settle on the date hopefully the venue has our date and then from there, we see how many, like, what can that venue do for us? So is there space for programming? Is there space for extracurricular activities such as, you know, panels or um, games or contests? How many, how many vendors can we comfortably put in here without, you know, crushing everyone? You have to have a certain amount of space for the aisles. So can this venue do what we need it to do? Yes. Great. Build your inventory. And then from there, I I go, okay, I have this much space for guests. So six guest tables, 10 guest tables, 20 guest tables, depending on the show. Then I start my guest outreach. Meanwhile, vendors, I do my solicitation for vendors. They know me. They know my my partner. They know the work that we do. So they have the opportunity to buy booth space from us. And everything just kind of falls inward from there.
3: This is with an existing business in place.
4: Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the Simi Valley show is um, it was new. So we launch new shows all the time. But some of them are repeats. Like, right. And people are now what to expect. So is
3: each one its own like entity? Like its own business entity? Is
4: that what you're saying? Oh um they're under an, umbre- they're under an umbrella okay. yeah, they're under an umbrella. Yeah, they're under an umbrella. Um
1: okay, this is more I guess technical but um, I guess entertain me so if you're at the point where you've done all that stuff because it just seems like something I'm noticing in general is people don't know how to book talent so how would you book talent specifically for a convention is it the same agent as their like if it's a voice actor is their same agent as their general voice actor um, I know the pony people the pony VAs in general have specific, um, specific agents for their convention bookings can you guys break down how that works
3: um, well, with the My Little Pony folks, just from knowing people on the con scene, I knew some of the agents. And so like I had their contact information and also people who want to work make it easy to find them. I find a lot of actors, artists, they have a website with a contact me page and sometimes it's, you know, their reps information, sometimes it's their email address for business inquiries um, so for a lot of people, they want to be found because they want to be booked. They want to work. So start there with the easy ones first, I would say.
1: Um, now it's Scott's back. Scott or Lauren, anything to add with to that, or like maybe reaching I, out? I, to I can add. Go
4: ahead. I can add to that. Yeah, it's um Casey's correct. It, there's a combination, or you were correct rather, um, in the sentiment of. With some agencies, it's the booking agent will be the same for conventions as it is for booking them work through a studio. But oftentimes, there's specific convention agents that will book on behalf of the talent. And it's a combination of building a good relationship with those agencies. There's a lot of them out there. Uh, my favorite one to work with is CelebWorks. I adore them. And then uh, it's, a t- so some, it's a combination of building a good relationship with the convention booking agents or finding the talent themselves. Oftentimes, they'll represent themselves. And if you take good care of them at this show, they know they want to come back for your other shows. My business partner and I make sure that we, we take efforts. We buy gifts or gift baskets. We always buy lunch. We always do parking reimbursement um, because for us, it's the right thing to do to, to accommodate our talent and that they at least are happy and know the show is going to be nice and ideally, they'll always make a good amount of money from um, attendees. But at least we've given this really nice cushioned baseline that'll make them feel welcome.
1: Um, Scott, is is he still here? Or is... Sorry, I'm on mobile. OK, anything to add to that?
2: Just talking about uh,
1: booking conventions. Bo- booking guests.
2: Yes. Booking for a convention. OK, yeah. Um, I think you guys nailed it right on the head. I mean, it's, it's the relationship. Uh, There are so many people out there that will not talk to you unless they are referred, or you're referred to them, or they know you, or they've seen your work, or have seen the shows that you've put on, or have at least a good reference of of what you are about, um, just so they trust you. Um, I deal with a number of agents in getting all sorts of talent for the conventions. and, and that's one of the biggest things is establishing a good rapport with the agent, with the talent. Then they will be more apt to do certain things that you're asking them to do, which they wouldn't normally be doing at a convention, like special appearances or, you know, doing a little extra on the side for free or um, coming to your con even um, when they might have other plans and, and, you know that might take precedence if they weren't you know so good with your your event um, and then the trust relationship being able to pay your bills on time making sure you're not shorting your guests making sure you're giving good communication so that they know what they need to do when they need to show up where they need to be um, agents all, all respect that and they love it when that happens because they've probably been burned quite a few times by bad conventions or bad guest uh, interactions um, where they send their talent to a show and the show is like this black hole. And the, and the talent comes back to them and they report back to their agents like, I never want to be invited to this show. Don't send anybody else to this show. It's mm-hmm. horrible. They did all these things wrong. Um, so if you have a good rapport with the agents, a good rapport with the talent, it goes a long way. Yes. Um, and communication, I mean, if you don't know them and, and you're trying to reach out to somebody new, starting on the right foot with that relationship Making sure your communication is proper, that you're directing it in a in a formal way, but not too formal, not over the top formal. Um, this is a business relationship. You have to remember, um, it's not something where you're reaching out to a friend or buddy. It's like, hey, you want to come to my con? It's like, hello, sir, or madam, or you know, <laughs> agent, person. Here's your name. Put it in. Spell it right. That's a big ding. If, if you're not spelling people's names right, they're going to have a bad impression right off the bat. If you're if your email or your voicemail or just your phone call is full of mistakes, typos, um, incorrect information like you're contacting the wrong agent for the wrong talent, um, those kind of things always just put you off on the wrong foot and it's very hard to recover from that. Um, if you have done this a few times, you kind of get to know the the agent or the talent so you can come to expect certain things back and forth after a while but don't start with that impression or don't think that just because you know one agent or, or one group of talent that, that automatically falls over to another group or another agent because it doesn't oh, i'm kind of rambling here but go ahead yeah i was
1: just going to say and You're, for that, the base for the baseline i'm just starting a new con I don't know how to book talent where are some resources um that you guys go to or what would something some websites you would be recommending just to kind of get general Sometimes
2: basics that's that is just a mystery to solve and there are many different ways to try to solve it twitter is a great resource um, uh, usually if you're looking for somebody they'll have a twitter account yeah that's and true listed right in their bio
3: like if you have somebody <laughs> uh, in mind google them google yeah. the guests if you really yeah. want to start there um but if you're talking about like animators or writers and sometimes even actors you can ask their union who their rep is um sometimes the the unions will have that information available so um just <laughs> you know google their union and make a phone call
2: I, i've literally gone to twitter found the person i was looking for and said hey um, how can I talk, or who, who should I contact to, to book your talent, or, or who is your agent? Who should I contact in regards to booking talent? Um, usually, the guests, you know, if, if they're a proper agent representation, um, you won't book it directly with the talent. You'll have to go through an agency of some sort. And a lot of times, agencies don't necessarily own specific talent but they group a bunch of them together so the agencies you find online through a google search might not be the actual agent to go to for that you're certain
3: oh talent. yeah beware those oh, yeah. beware those like booktalent.coms they're usually not the actual reps and if you're talking somebody starting from scratch you might not know that
2: and they're going to charge a, a nice commission on top to, to be the go-between um, so yeah, just reach out, ask the talent. If it all if it all fails, usually they'll have a Twitter account. Just ask them straight up if you need to.
1: Yeah, I would I would just jump in and say like IMDb Pro usually has a lot of their their general like you know talent information, be a voice actor or just like you know for other publicists I, and stuff like that.
2: I've even found IMDb to be unreliable in a lot of cases. It's either old information, not updated information, or just plain wrong.
4: I was gonna say one from uh, from my experience. Once you start planning and promoting your event, you start getting floods of emails from agencies, legitimate ones who want you to book their talent. So oftentimes they come to you once your um, once your event is like in the ether and under their radar. Agents will come to you.
1: Okay. Um. I, I like I like thoroughness of that. Okay. So I'm gonna mix around the order a little bit. So um, I know we kind of started on you know general, like, how to run, but do you guys have any helpful hints hints that you want to talk about as far as just the new con runner, you know, like, things you wish you knew when you first started, like, any any general advice?
2: I I read a a lovely um, three-step process to running a new convention. Uh, The first step is don't. The second step is find some friends. And the third step is find some money. Because without those three things, you you know, minus the first one, of course, but find some friends, find some money. Because you're not going to be running anything without that. It's very hard to run an event by yourself. It takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. And if you're trying to do this on the side, it's nearly impossible to get that going by yourself. Find some money. People don't realize these things actually cost money in some cases a lot of money mm-hmm. um Can you i would give say a five figures far- yeah, for okay, most um, like hotel type cons that's your starting range for a five small figures. convention <laughs> oh it's not like ten, not- 10 to 20 grand i would say before you even think about trying to run your own con.
4: Well, not the deposit i i would respectfully disagree with that um you definitely have to budget i'm not trying to diminish what you said but um I don't know. I mean some shows sure. It every show is different. Power Morphicon costs a lot of money. You know, the Long Beach shows are very large, but um I think I think that people can throw really nice fan events. Um you know, you just gotta keep in mind if you can keep your ticket prices down and you book a hotel that doesn't cost a lot, um, I think you can break even and maybe even take a little bit of money home in the five thousand dollar range.
2: Oh yeah, it definitely is possible. I would say you need to have a very good handle on your attendance. Um, Just your your raw numbers of what you expect to have people in attendance for a certain kind of event. If you're expecting 100 people to attend, 500 people to attend, 1,000 people attend, you're talking about a very different scenario in each one of those cases, and there's kind of budget numbers where that would make sense and where it just wouldn't make sense. Uh, Just talking from the Pony fandom um, experience. A very small convention uh, 200 to 500 type attendance you're gonna be about about what you're saying five grand minimum and that's to have very uh, very cheap or free talent appearances um, at a fairly cheap off-season type hotel mm-hmm. if you're talking Agreed. about high season with you know 500 people in attendance that's gonna need some decent space at a hotel type ballroom area um, it's probably gonna have two or so uh like vip guests or invited uh, special guests uh, you're probably looking more to ten to fifteen thousand dollars just to have something sustainable effective that you don't have to worry about you know charging everybody 200 bucks a ticket to attend
3: we're just talking venue costs it really varies It, it it varies so much on what the venue wants i mean EQLA had four different venues and every single time they wanted different things sometimes like we paid more for food and beverage they gave us a screaming deal on the ballrooms um, so like it, it really just depends um, we had the best yeah, luck at the, the, the Anaheim Convention Center um, had some weird rules so we found that our event was way better in hotels so it just, it really depends, depends so much.
2: i say you, you can save yourself a lot of money by negotiating your contracts uh, and not just taking the, the general offer that they're giving everybody on the street. You know, take into account how many people might be staying at the hotel, the room bookings, um, discounts, rates for um, that kind of thing. They can cut yeah, into I'm, the I'm, costs, I'm, I'm, I'm
1: general- all sorts
2: of things all over.
1: I was just going to add, I'm generally supply, surprised with the discourse. I'm glad this is a lot better um, putting, you know, some people in a room that haven't probably haven't talked to each other in a while or if at all between Lauren and everyone else. Okay. Um, Moving on. Oh, um, I do you know, have, have to say I
4: have to get out, ahead. jump off the call like very soon.
1: Okay, sure. Um, I'll try to keep it one or two. And then we'll just kind of filter out depending on who wants to stay here. But okay. Um, Programming is generally important for a con. What kind of panels do you guys like to plan, programming-wise, both for your um, guests of honor or what kind of panels are you looking for? You know, for, for the, from the general public as far as
3: engagement and um, just general things to consider. I guess. I mean, I can, I can, I can go on that. Um, I like to keep my largest panel room to all you know the big big VIP names. I'll get at least one panel in there and kind of work backwards from there if there's any other time for maybe larger YouTubers, say, or the charity auction, things like that. And then if I had smaller panel rooms, I would keep that for some of the like the fan panels where they run themselves. Like they want to talk about fan fiction or they... Other YouTube things or cosplay panels, things like that. Um, but you also have to—that's where you have to know your fandom. You have to know what is gonna fill the room, um, which which subjects are going to, you know, need the the eight thousand person ballroom, and which are perfectly fine with a fifty person small panel room, um, and. I always focus on children's programming as well because it was My Little Pony and I wanted to make sure that the children felt, children of families felt as welcome as the adult fans. Um, so make sure that everyone in your fandom feels welcome and there's something for everyone. I guess is a, a takeaway for a, a general purpose kind of
2: thing. Yeah, panels in general, I, I like to make sure that my panels are varied, so we're not doing the same thing every time. Um, it, it's kind of hard to have you know, your VIP panels just be Q&A every single time you have a VIP panel. So I like to try to mix them up, Have, but have at least one panel through my event that is open to things for Q&A, because people do still like it. But then maybe the second time that person might be up on stage, do something else with them. Have a have a like a, a game, an interactive thing where they can, you know, play with the audience or or have a special type of event or performance even, um, just so we have varying content. And then like uh, Casey was saying, keep it so that there's something for everyone. Uh, make sure you vary your content. Uh, kind of think through the different fans attendees you might have. And and make sure that if I was this kind of a person, what would I might be? What would I be interested in doing? And, and does my uh, panel layout throughout the week and my event schedule look like something that I could accomplish? Are all the cosplay panels happening at the same time on the same day in different rooms? That's not going to be a good thing, because if I was a cosplay fan, I'd only have one event to go to at one point during the entire event weekend. So, just make sure you have. Things spread out make sure you have some variety um make sure there's something for everybody and that keeps people happy and engaged
4: uh yeah i mean i feel i feel very similarly there's i feel like there's panels that will always be evergreen and that is having a voice actor a voice acting panel um of some flavor. But I agree that cute like I don't like Q&A panels. They have to be a very very for me high-hitting guest for me to consider a QA and a panel. Otherwise, um I still want there to be entertainment. I want there to be like there's some good great groups out there that'll do pop culture debate um panels or like cosplay comedy or like comedy in general um or sh- Or panels about toy collecting where they bring in things for you to actually look at. And they talk about the history of this specific toy fandom, um, you know, and the merchandise that's been involved. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is yes to everything you guys said and just making a conscientious effort to make sure that your panels are really engaging and really exciting because I've just been to so many boring panels and, you know, Seeing things that you feel are done incorrectly helps you as a showrunner or somebody helping to plan programming. That sort of um, makes you know what not to do. Um,
2: At the end of every everfree event, we also have a like a Q and A session. I will
4: say,
1: um, I I know you guys want to wrap up, so I will kind of leave it. Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, at the end of every everfree, we have a a Q and A session where we listen to feedback from the attendees. And from that information, we gather back from them, the questions they ask us, the feedback they give us. We try to incorporate that in the next year. So if there was something they liked about the panels or the events, we try to bring those kind of things back or expand upon them. And if there's something they didn't like, we try to correct that problem or just remove it from the scheduling if it's something that just people didn't enjoy or it wasn't well attended. Mm -hmm. So year over year, you learn a little bit more about what your fans are are interested in and how things go with certain events, certain types of panels and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I guess the general um, consensus is, like, if you're someone, if you're the general public organizing or wanting to organize a panel for a convention, just make sure it's something compelling and something that is well-researched as far as what specifically your topic is, Um, I think it's fair to say around the board. Okay, um, so we'll end at this. Um, I, I think we're just going off <laughs> too long anyway. Um, so, why are fan conventions in general important to the general public? Um, via someone from your guys's perspiri- or your guys's experience as running them, from people you're interacting th- with, like you know, what are people personally gaining from these, and um,
3: you know, just general, why should they exist? It's a place where you can find your people. That's a good way to put it. Fandom
2: means a lot to a lot of people. I mean, it's a very important aspect of a brand in general or a um, a commodity of sorts. Uh, Hasbro in the My Little Pony fandom kind of struck gold when they just allowed the fan cons to happen without much interference or, you know, cease and desist orders or you can't use our brand to promote this kind of thing. They just kind of let it happen. They kept an eye on it from a very high level view to make sure it wasn't you know trashing their brand Mm -hmm. but allowing it to happen actually was the biggest advertisement for their products they could have ever hoped for to allow all the fans of, of their their ip to come together to celebrate that ip to engage with one another to share stories to share content to share creations and just you know in general enjoy what was created and want more of it to come and consume that as it came um, it was better than any toy commercial they could have ever produced
1: um lauren it's do you also wha-
2: better than their own fan conventions that they ran yeah a,
1: that that's true i don't know if anyone's ever heard of hashcon or ha- what is it hascon or something Has but that was, that was Con, bad
2: <laughs> Well, it, it wasn't really meant for the fans. It was meant for like industry and deciders more than anything mm. to showcase their products. It was like, hey, look at us. Look at all the stuff we can make and, and you can sell and we can all profit from. It wasn't really a celebration of the work itself. Well, they
3: tried. From, from what I can Honestly, see. they tried. It was Hasbro trying to put on a D23 and it was a little misguided and they didn't give themselves enough time to really plan it. But that's a talk for another day.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Um Lauren, do you want to add um any insight as far as why you do it or why they why conventions are important?
4: uh no, I don't have anything
1: okay um I guess we can end on this note so uh, thank you guys so much for spending an hour with me um even though my internet is a piece of garbage so <laughs> i'm I'm hoping um this helps people who maybe want have no idea what a convention is or like maybe want to, Aren't biting off more they they can chew chew they can chew essentially because it just seems like that just a continual thing that keeps on happening and conventions in general are such a big investment that people have to be careful so um, any any last words Do you guys want to plug anything
2: come to Everfree enjoy your fans <laughs> Lauren, it
4: was, nice
3: Lauren you.
2: it was very nice to meet you
4: you too thank you so Likewise. much and Thank
3: you, thank you, guys. And hey, Scott, good luck with your cons.
2: Yep, we're we're gearing up for one of our biggest years ever. If the projections are right, we're about three times ahead of where we normally are at this point, this far out. Our hotel is completely booked. Our overflow hotel is practically completely booked. Um, we're gonna have a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of sweaty <laughs> we people. Might try to find some more space for them.
1: Lauren, do you want to plug more stuff, or are you good?
4: Yeah, um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to just run down the list. I always feel like the mother of dragons when I <laughs> run down the names of all the shows and everything that I do. But if you go to troublemakerservices.com, everything is listed there that my group and I work on. And we hope you guys come check out some of our shows. You can see my toy journalism, my group's toy journalism at toy-wizards.com. And, um, yeah, just, uh, you know. That's kind of where I am. Okay,
1: well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Animation Communication. I'm KP uh, with these lovely con chairs, uh, signing off.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. We are really hoping this show makes a difference in how people view animation and media, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation or media industry. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and rate those 5 stars, as well as tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our main YouTube channel, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, and turn those notifications on. My name is Scribbler, and you have been listening to Animation Communication.